Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, and we are going to just give a little brief introduction here. We have uh, we just got done with three episodes of Dr. Newman. Thank you, Dr. Newman. Yes, I'm pretty sure he, I don't know if he does as much as his wife, but they, ambiguous they, listen to our podcast, so thank you. And uh, we have another guest uh, who's going to come up, and we're, we're going to have him for at least two, probably three weeks. And uh, we're not going to tell you who that is yet. Uh, you're going to have to uh, listen uh, into the episode for a while to uh, figure that one out. But we just got back from the seminary Q&A that happened over in the Nettleton gym. And uh, you guys have any takeaways from that? It was really good. It was on the extent of the atonement. And Dr. Paul uh, spoke primarily. He's got a book coming out on that topic. And I thought it was really helpful. There were a couple of things that I thought were helpful Probably the first one is that he he did so much research and primary sources on the topic of the atonement that it really clarified that the there's not one atonement view in Calvinism, actually. It's really, I think today, if you look at the Calvinists that are the most vocal, you get one side of it, but historically... He was looking at Calvin and Luther and just lots of Protestant reformers, but even like all through Calvin himself, he wasn't taking the same view they take today. It was really, it was very helpful. I can't wait to read his book. He mentioned uh, the book From Heaven, He Came and Sought Her, which I've sold several in the bookstore. I knew it was on the extent of the atonement, but I didn't really know anything about it. He mentioned specifically that book's uh, definition of the atonement and how um, the... Uh, other Calvinists, Reformed individuals, disagreed with that book's definition of the atonement. And the splintering and dis- discussion amongst the Reformed um, movement um, that ensued. So I just thought that was a really fascinating part of it, that uh, there's just so much uh, um, disagreement amongst our Reformed brothers. They're not some monolithic movement. Yeah, the thing that I thought, I just... I mean, it's been a while since I've done some heavy reformed study, but just rem- just being reminded of the complexity of the issue, and what I just thought was kind of just anecdotally funny is just hearing Dr. Paul quip about, oh, we've got this TULIP, you know, acronym, <laughs> and like that is just like not even close to like what the canons of Dort would say, <laughs> and like these reformed theologians even agree, like you can't boil it down to this, it's way too oversimplistic. <laughs> And uh, it's just good to remember sometimes when we study theology and we think we've figured it out, we have not. <laughs> well, you know, Dr. Paul's read enough. He has. But for <laughs> us, maybe if you've only read one... Has hold hold on. Though? Let me say... And this will segue to something I want to say. If you've only read one book on it, or you've only read like one or two books, or you've only read a couple of blog posts on it, then you should probably withhold your judgment until you've read more broadly. Dr. Paul said a couple of times... He says that, you know, you should read Reformed, but then, you know, go read some Lutherans and go read some Anglicans and go read like Calvin and then people before Calvin. And he's not saying just there's no truth in any, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, read all those sources because they were all talking about it and all disagreeing. So I think for me, uh, it, it's, it was helpful because 
you can you can think another position is really really appealing when you only hear one person speak about it and they're you know they have a good argument or they're, they're very persuasive but when dr paul was marshalling all this all these quotes from various speakers and thinkers and writers and uh, it just made me think of a couple of proverbs proverbs 18:13 if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. And so I think of you hear one side of the argument, you come to a conclusion, and Scripture actually is saying that's folly and it's to your shame. And so if you're thinking of moving to any other position, I don't, you know, you're going to become a Calvinist, you're going to become an Arminian, you know, whatever. If you've only read one other position, the one that you're thinking about switching to, that's the Bible would say that's kind of foolish because you haven't read both sides of it. Um, and then it, it, like five verses later in Proverbs 18, verse 17, it says, the one who states his case first seems right. And the second colon of that proverb says, until the other one comes and examines him. And so I thought what Dr. Paul did today was helping us to see the complexity of it. And it was really good. Really good. Before we jump in, any other quick thoughts before we get to... We, we pre-recorded this guest, so... It's not, uh, they're not sitting at the table with us right now. We're going to, we're going to patch in the conversation from a few weeks ago, but before we do that, any other thoughts before we transition? The one book that uh, listener, you probably should read on the whole extent of the atonement is Dr. Paul's book, <laughs> which you can go to fbbcbooks.com and pick it up or pre-order it. It's not out yet. It'll probably be coming out in about a month, but you can pre-order it now. Uh, through uh, Facebook store. It's $20 and uh, yeah, stop in or uh, jump online and order your copy today. The, the other cool thing about the seminary Q&A is Tim and I, you know, we basically just sat there and listened and we were learning right along with everyone else. Um, and here was Charlie in the front row <laughs> texting them <laughs> the ferociously whole, the horrendous, whole time. Horrendous, horrendous. <laughs> you are horrendous. Uh, my phone's you? blowing up down there. It's you both, Charlie. You both, I asked him, I texted Tim, <laughs> do you want me to come lob you a softball question? Because no. it's just like all this like New Testament, like election, foreknowledge discussion. And I wanted to go up and be like, so can I ask the Old Testament prof, what does the Old Testament say about election? Like, Dr. Little, <laughs> do you have a like... comment on that? <laughs> well, the atonement was the real... Yes. I mean, he was discussing election. And atonement is obviously a, a theme in the Old Testament. But, but anyway, but nobody if... would have cared about that input. They wanted to hear Dr. Paul. I'm glad you didn't ask me anything. Yes. But if you are listening and you're like, I don't know if I should go these Q&As or not, let me just tell you, Joan Tillotson made Mexican dip, and it was amazing. And so the snacks at these things, people, I'm telling you, you should show up just for the food. And on that note, <laughs> enjoy this episode. Enjoy this episode. And I'm going to say before you even get there, I've received more feedback about the harsh cutoffs to these guest episodes than I have for anything else the Thinklings have done. My own mother, Charlie. My own mother. I apologize for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So guess what? When we get to the end of this episode, this is going to be just harsh cut. You're not going to hear everything you want, and you're just going to have to tune in next week to the Thinklings podcast. Welcome to the Thinklings podcast. We have another guest here today, but we're not going to get to him just yet. We're going to kind of start off normal. So, Tim and Andy, how are we doing? Very good, Charlie. Very good. I'm cold. 
Okay. Except for Tim and I are sharing a microphone, so we're having to sit really close together. And Tim is so cold, he's in a blanket. So it feels a little weird. <laughs> he is. It's I'm really like funny. literally next to him, and he's in a blanket. This seems weird. I'm not sharing my blanket. <laughs> okay, so we do have some Thinklings business to tend to, which is our guest today, and probably next week as well. But before we do that, as always, we have some... Thi- so, wait, no. We have some Thinklings business to tend to. Let's talk about some books. Books and business. Okay, so a book that I'm working through to talk about probably in a couple of episodes is The Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton. Uh, we've mentioned C.S. Lewis's list before of the books that he um, rated, uh, top 10 books, and I can't remember if it's number two on that list. I think it's number two on that list. Uh, Chesterton is a really interesting author, and the way he writes things is very writes things is very pithy. So it's fun to read, but it's long. But talking about a history of humanity is kind of the idea of the book. So, Yeah, Chesterton, like you mentioned that he's a pithy writer. It's very entertaining, but still very educational. So even his autobiography, uh, he's very, um, pithy is a good word, like a bit of a smart aleck sometimes. Mm -hmm. So very, very Kind of the big takeaway right now from it is... He talks about how people want to make a history of humanity and what they, how they start that practice is not history at all because they go to before we have history. Like they suppose what happened before we have record. And he says, that's not a historical pursuit. <laughs> what do you want to see? You look like you want to say something. Just keep going. Okay. So then he, he points out the only, like the earliest history that we have of quote, the cavemen is that they're doing art in the cave. And he's like, guess what? Cats don't paint pictures of dogs. (laughs) It's like a very pithy way of saying like, you know what? From the onset of what we have of these people is that they're doing something very human. It's not that they're unhuman. So it's interesting. I'm into chapter three, I think right now. So Uh, I'm currently reading um, Baron and Luthien. It is uh, a Tolkien book. It's part of the lore. I'm sorry. You, so you with the what? blanket. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> I am really cold. I'm drinking take picture, coffee. Take a picture of him. We'll post it on the website. With his hands up and he's talking. He's making, it's so funny. So I'm reading. I'm just going to keep going because yeah, they're keep doing going. whatever. Keep, 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 keep going. Baron and Luthien. It's actually a love story. And... Um, it actually was one of Tolkien's books that he never finished, which is kind of odd in, in itself. Um, Christopher Tolkien, which is J.R.R. Tolkien's son, has uh, put together a lot of the pieces, uh, of the unfinished pieces of Tolkien concerning Baron and Luthien. And Charlie knows a lot about this too, so he might chime in at some point. But um, there are several um, different stories. For example, the first time he wrote about Baron and Luthien, it actually wasn't Baron and Luthien. It was Baron and... Oh, goodness, I just forgot her name. Tenuthiel or something like that. Tenuthiel. Tenuthiel. There you go. Tenuthiel. So I'm reading this book and this this story, and the main character is not even the main character. She has a different name. Um, But Baron renames her, gives her a new name, and it's Luthien, which is the nightingale, um, because she sings, and her singing is beautiful. So, yeah, just to, to throw in a comment here, I'm I'm I would need to do some digging to make sure on this, but I'm fairly confident that one of the first portions of the Lord of the Rings uh, writings that Tolkien was working on, the first person to read them other than himself was Lewis. And what he shared with him was one of, I don't know if it was one of the songs of like Baron and Luthien, like one of the the love songs. And that was kind of the the rocket of like Lewis says, I love this. And so like this is some of the early, early stuff 
I mean, he was writing a lot of stuff in the, in the World Wars, but, you know, how do you decide what's early and what's not? But some of the first things that he shared with Lewis of The Lord of the Rings was the Baron and Luthien huh. content. That's really interesting. So in the story, um, the first edition of uh, the first edition of the story, it had like three different endings. So it was really kind of even a postmodern story. You could pick the ending that pleased you. You know, in one story, Baron dies, and another one, he almost dies, and she, you know, brings him back to life. And then in the third one, he does die, and she goes into the realm of the dead and brings him back. So um, kind of just uh, interesting in that respect. I'm not all the way through all the different editions of it. Again, there's like the early edition and then uh, a shorter version that Tolkien wrote later. And then there's like these longer um, poetic kind of versions. And I'm, I'm reading through some of those and I don't know if I'm really even going to finish it because I'm not that interested in the thing, but uh, I wanted to read something that was Tolkien that wasn't Lord of the Rings, part of the, the history of Lord of the Rings lore kind of stuff. And so I chose this one and I'm glad that I did. It just gives me a broader perspective on the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, and uh, some of the, the mythology behind uh, the Lord of the Rings. It's interesting because I bought the Silmarillion uh, a long ago and didn't realize it's a historic, he doesn't write it as a story. I mean, there's stories in it, but it's, it's like a compendium of historical data and I tried to read through that, and I have not gotten through it because I didn't know what was going on. So, well, that's not my book. My book is Doug Wilson's Flags Out Front. This is a novel. So, this, I have a theory here. He has a book uh, called Rules for uh, Reformers. Reformers. Yeah, and it's a riff off of Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. And so, in that book, he says, you know, let's give credit where credit's due. Alinsky had some right ideas, but a terrible worldview or something like that. And so in Rules for Reformers, I haven't read the whole thing. He's trying to say this is how you get stuff done in culture. But I think Flags Out Front is his Lewis attempt to make a story off of his essay. So in Flags Out Front, the whole thing starts off. That's our guest's That's computer. Our guest's horrendous Windows <laughs> laptop. <laughs> Which we'll introduce to you in just a moment. Just so a let's moment. talk about let's flags the, out front. Yeah. So the whole story starts off. This guy's, it's like, I think it's out in the middle of nowhere, Montana, and there's a Bible college. And this drunk guy is driving down the road at like 2 a.m. And he he thinks a great prank. He goes by this Bible college. has got three flags up them. I think that, no, Idaho maybe? I don't know. He's got the state flag, the U.S. flag, and the Christian flag. And the center flagpole is the tallest with the U.S. flag. And he's like, I'm going he's, and he's drunk. And he's like, I'm going to mix these flags up. So he pulls them all down and he puts the Christian flag up in the middle and the United States flag and the state flag or whatever. And he drives off. And the next day it gets out that this Bible college has made the Christian flag, the highest flag and not the American flag and like news reporters everywhere come. And there's this huge controversy. And so the whole rest of the book is how this little Bible college and this Bible college administrator navigate this like national scandal. And it's really, it's, it's really entertaining. It's a funny book and it's not what I expected. And so I, it, it's a pretty good one. I, I, I'd actually recommend it. Tim, you've read that too, right? Yes, I have. Any thoughts on it? Oh yeah, I really liked it. It was uh, entertaining. Um, um, it just a lot of the uh, things that you manipulation and people taking things out of context. You know, he kind of incorporates that into the story. Uh, false al- allegations, uh, the the um, propensity for people to believe what they want to believe, as opposed to actually doing research and determining what's really true. Uh, and then he even throws some uh, a very 
common romance into it, uh, which is kind of expecting you see that coming too. So I, it was just an entertaining read, and that's kind of how I'd put it. I thought the other thing about it that was interesting is I think the overall point of the book is that sometimes there are real things that happen in real life, and you have to respond to those in a way of reality. And it doesn't mean you don't pray, but you pray and then you act. And so that I don't know if he's trying to make a riff on be as wise as uh, or as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as, as doves. I'm not sure, but it's kind of like a, how you respond in real life. It, it was fun. It was a fun read. I think he's also uh, making us think through uh, our, our true allegiance. Is our true allegiance to America or is it to Jesus? So, um, and that I think is, is valuable, something that we need to think through more as Americans. Okay, and then we've got one more at the table today. Uh, how do you introduce this guy? The this man, is, the myth, why, the legend. Why don't, you, why don't you intro yourself? Give us your name, what you do, and then uh, if you have a book for our books and business, you just go right into it. Well, I am uh, Doug Brown. Dun, 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 dun. I'm really glad to be able to, to join you guys today. So, And what, what do you do, Doug? I <laughs> am... Doug. Did you call him Doug? <laughs> We're all at the table here. We're all at the table. <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. <laughs> this is so great. I, so yeah, tell tell like unfold yourself a little more for us. So who okay. is who is Doug? Well, I'm a a dad of four. I'm a, a husband. Um, I've been a pastor for quite a while, like close to thirty years now, and. Um, I also teach here at Faith. I'm, I'm also the dean of the seminary, so I enjoy all of those different hats and roles that I play. But uh, so I think, obviously, most people know me as someone who teaches in the seminary. Yes. Yeah, so that's where we were chuckling. I called him Doug for most of, well, not most, all of my interaction. He's been Dr. Doug, Dr. Brown. Uh, is your, Tim, Andy, your first interaction with him as students here? Yeah, I had him as, well, I don't know, I had him as student first. What about you? I think our relationship was more, he was uh, my pastor, assistant pastor. Uh, I had I had you for like one class, I think, because you were just beginning to step into the seminary when I right. was leaving. Right. I think, yep. And then I did, we had a couple of classes together. Maybe. Yeah. And actually I have a story to tell later about that, but yeah. Oh, let's tell stories now. Okay. So, here's, so yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you, you go first. No, you, you go. Okay. So you my go first. first interaction. <laughs> his listeners, his face. There's, Dr. There's, Doug looks a lo- like mildly nervous. So and my very first interaction be. with Dr. Brown was in 2009 at the Talents for Christ competition. And Dr. Brown was one of the preaching judges. I remember that. And uh, I had never preached. I had a, a mom in, uh, shout out to Kathy, a mom in, uh, in my church in Williamsburg who's, Charlie, you need to, you need to do this. I think you'd, be, you'd do well with it. And I was planning to go to faith. And if you do well, you get a scholarship to go to faith. And uh, Dr. Brown was one of the three judges. And uh, I ended up doing fairly well in that competition. But what I remember is after the competition was over, Dr. Brown, I don't know Dr. Brown from anyone at this point other than he was one of my judges. And he comes up and he's, he's like, here's the deal. If you go to nationals, you need a suit jacket that actually fits you. <laughs> because 
because we wouldn't dock you on that here, but they probably will there. <laughs> and I had I had a suit jacket that the sleeves were too long. I mean, just bought it. You know, I didn't. I never wore suits. You know, I, I was I went to public high school. I wore pajama pants every day. You know, I got to know what a suit Amen. was. Amen. And that. Uh, and so that's my very first interaction. I think he's gonna come up and be like, "Hey, congratulations." <laughs> he goes, "Hey." You need to get a suit jacket that actually fits you. <laughs> so that's my very first interaction with Dr. Doug. The reason I did that is because <laughs> I had a teen in my youth group in Chicago who would have won based upon points, but they docked. It was actually for speech, not a preaching time, but they docked her and she lost because of what she wore. I couldn't believe it. Yep. Yeah, that and... They, they do get pretty particular on things at the national competition. That's really funny, Dr. Doug, because when you said the reason they docked her or docked him, is that's not what I thought you were going to say after that. So uh, <laughs> my first remembrance or interaction was I was uh, going into seminary and I was trying to like cut out classes that I, I, I was trying to like trim off some classes because it was my last semester. And so I was trying to replace one class with another and I thought... I don't need to take this college teaching methods class. Like, why do I? I want to take theology. I was like very stupid. And so I emailed Dr. this Dr. Brown guy and asked if I could replace his class with some seminary guy. I don't know what it was. And he called me and he's like, you know, uh, Andy, I really, I really think this class is very important. And if you're going to be in ministry, you really need to know how to teach. And so I'm not going to allow you to change the class with another one. And I was like a little mildly miffed at him. Looking back in college, that was one of the top three classes I took. And I'm super thankful that I did. And I wouldn't be doing what I am today if I hadn't taken that class. So see, my memory was a good one. See, but <clears throat> he's also pretty funny. I have, I have many, many good memories that we don't have time to share because you guys kind of just dabbled into Dr. Brown. I had him in undergrad. I had him in seminary. Like I've had probably at least a dozen or more classes with you. So like, there's a lot of interaction, a lot of a wealth of stories. Plus you're a prankster. So <laughs> the best prank we ever did, you need to go over to the shepherdology podcast and uh, Dr. Taylor's wife, Faith Taylor is a prankster and her and I teamed up one time and we did a pretty fun one, but we, we don't have a lot of time for this. Let's go back to books and business. Do you have a, uh, a book title you've been working on reading recently that you might want to throw out? I just finished reading, uh, I know this isn't like a, a thought-provoking book in that sense, but it was. I just finished reading Doug Moo's commentary on James, and I really enjoyed that. I was teaching through the book of James and just found, um, you know, he's, he's always so readable, and so I really enjoyed that. Um, I'm also reading a few different books right now on worldviews, and so I'm reading like, for example, I think it's Mark Ward's, I think it's just called a Biblical Worldview book. Um, it's it's actually a curriculum for high school students, and so I'm I'm preparing this for a series that I'm doing for our youth ministry at our church. So, on commentaries on James, would you uh, put Moo at like the top or just near the top, or maybe our readers might be interested in just a good commentary on James? Yeah, he has listeners. two, and so um, the one that's the more technical one, I think, is in like the Pillar series. And that's going to be have more of the language and stuff like that. Um, the one I actually Biblical read... Biblical languages is what he's referring to there. Yeah. And the the one that I read was uh, more the Tyndale one because I was, I was doing it more for just, just teaching and stuff like that. So 
So yeah, bestcommentaries.com, the uh, pillar is the highest rated James commentary. And then his, uh, the TNTC is the third. So they're both rated very highly. I've always thought that second to Constantine Campbell, Douglas Moo is probably one of my favorite commentary names. <laughs> Just because Doug Moo. <laughs> Um, anyway, so <laughs> don't have a couch, Charlie. Yeah. Um, so something that we do here, Dr. Brown, we we've contrived this scale. We call it the Thinkling's Goodness Scale, and so we place books on the scale. For it's a one to ten. Every book on the list we're saying is really good. So a one is not a low poor rating. It's a one is good, but a ten is much more good. So if you had to put that commentary on a goodness scale? Like, how good do you think it is? Like, put a number to it. Oh, I, I mean, it's very, very helpful and useful. I'd put it, like, maybe, like, a 7 or 8 or something like that, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know if I have that one. I have the pillar one, and I really like that one. But So, shall we transition into the bulk of our content today? Let's do it. Okay, so what we like to do with the guests is we know... Tim and Andy and I, we know that we know our guests probably much more than you do. So we have a series of questions that we want to ask just to kind of get you to know this person a little bit better. And then the main topic that we'd like to discuss in this episode and then probably the subsequent episode, we're going to talk about hermeneutics and dispensationalism. And uh, we'll probably start in the hermeneutic realm and then bleed into the dispensational realm. We'll just see how that unfolds. But we do have some questions that we're going to ask first. So, Dr. Brown, why are you a teacher? How did you get here? Just give us a short, like, maybe like a, this is where I went to school. This is why I went into this field, that type of a discussion. You know, when I was, went from Bible college, I went straight into seminary and I really enjoyed academics and I thought, Um, you know, I I wasn't really sure what God wanted me to do. I was just open to whatever he wanted. I think God called me to ministry. I really understood the call to ministry when I was maybe a freshman of of Bible college. That's when I really think I grew the most and really felt like I should be in ministry. But I think the the, the thing that impacted me um, to go on was when I was getting up in my upper level master's degrees, I decided, why don't I just apply for doctoral programs and just see what happens? And so I applied for a couple different doctoral programs and I ended up getting into a couple of them and I decided to go to Trinity. And so after my MDiv, I went straight into my, uh, New Testament, um, PhD work. And all that time that I was in seminary, I was in church ministry as an assistant pastor and really enjoying youth work, really enjoying being an assistant, you know, preaching occasionally, but just really being involved in ministry, discipling people. And um, I got to the end of my PhD work and I'm just like, I don't know if I really want to go into academics or just stay in the church. And and it was actually quite a hard decision for me to kind of think that through. Um, well, uh, I, I got a call from Dr. George Houghton and basically the door opened up for me to be able to come to faith. And I had to kind of make a decision. Am I going to stay in the church or in academics? And I thought to myself, listen, I'm getting a PhD. I I should probably at least try it academics out to see if that's where I should be. So I just, I didn't, you know, I didn't, it's not like I made a deal with God or anything like that, but I just said, you know what, let's just try five years in academics. And if, if that doesn't work out, I'll go back to church ministry, you know, because I, 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 knew, I knew that I'd love church ministry, and I knew that. So I came to faith, and within 
really literally a matter of months, I was totally addicted to teaching and just loved the idea of, of teaching. And, um, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, skill sets and gifts and things like that. I really feel like this is where God can use me the most. Um, it's not that I don't think, you know, I, 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 I actually feel like I kind of took a demotion going from pastoral ministry to professor. I think a lot of times we think of that backwards, but I, I, and so that, you know, God just moved me here. And then, so I eventually I went from college to the seminary. So what were, um, like your first classes that you taught when you came here? When I, when I came to faith, I taught youth ministry classes. And so I was the chairperson of the local church ministry department. And so that's why I did classes like teaching methods and youth classes and stuff like that. When did you pick up Greek? Because I have always known you really, I mean, I knew you did the youth ministry stuff, but I've always really just known you as the Greek guy. I, I think Dr. Houghton threw me a bone when I first came because I was getting my doctorate in, in, in a New Testament. He let me... Dr. Walton was in the process of kind of stepping down from things. And so he gave me Greek 2, their second year of Greek, right at the very beginning. Okay. So I taught all of those youth classes plus Greek. Yeah, so that's another thing that I remember is one of the reasons I came to faith was I was really excited about learning the languages from Dr. Jeff Newman and Dr. Doug Brown and was uh, surprised when I had enrolled in Greek and actually had uh, Andy Stearns over here. Surprised, not disappointed. No, that was actually one of the l- biggest blessings of my undergrad was I think, that I got to be in his first Greek class. I think that was it, phenomenal. I think it started as disappointment and then yeah. maybe became surprise. I can still, I remember that conversation with Dr. Newman in Jordan Hall. I was like, I'm so excited for Greek next week. And he goes, oh, <laughs> I'm not teaching Greek this year. My TA. Andy Stern just teaching it. That's an excellent Newman voice impression right well, there. Well, we'll see what he thinks about it. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I, I remember early on, I think I was a freshman. I hadn't started Greek yet. And Dr. Brown, you were in Benson eating and we were sitting at the table and we're talking about Greek. And you're like, here's the deal. If you want to know Greek, you just, you need to know vocab. Like there's just no way around it. And I was like, vocab, who needs to learn vocab? That's not, you know, but that's. Now learning all of these languages with Tim, it's like, if you don't know the words, you don't know the words. It's kind of just how it is. So I, that's another great memories. Like you just need to, you just need to memorize probably about like 800 words. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.